What if God asked you to do the impossible? What if God tested your faith by asking you to do something unthinkable? Something so far-fetching, so outside of the norm, so strange. What if God asked you to sacrifice your own son or your own daughter? In the text this morning, we see Abraham confronted with one of the most difficult decisions he would ever have to make. Well, I hope you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 22. This morning, we're going to consider these two chapters, chapter 22 and 23. To set ourselves up for context, we want to remind ourselves that God has promised Abraham and Sarah that they would become a great nation. Many years earlier, God had called Abraham to leave his homeland and to go to a foreign land to live as a sojourner, a stranger, an alien. God promised that if he would remain faithful to him, that God would make Abraham into a great nation, that he would have so many descendants that he would not be able to number them. God also promised Abraham not only a people, but a land. He promised that the land that he was calling him to, the land of Canaan, would be the land that Abraham would possess. But Abraham, well, he never possessed the land. Abraham lived and died as a stranger, as a sojourner, as an alien in the land of Canaan. In fact, none of Abraham's children, Isaac or Jacob, or even Jacob's 12 sons, would live and possess the land. It wouldn't be until hundreds of years later that God would bring His people into the promised land through a leader named Joshua. This morning, we want to have that promise in the back of our mind as we consider God's promise to make a people, to make a great nation, and to provide land for this nation. Well, we see in chapter 22 that the, the real thrust of the passage is found there in the very first verse. After these things, God tested Abraham. The story is really most about God. Isaac is also in the story, but he's not the main character. It is the Lord who is testing the faith of Abraham. And you'll see that the, the chapter begins with that phrase, after these things. The narrator is drawing our minds to what has just taken place in the provisions given that God has, after so many long years, provided a son to Sarah and Abraham through a miraculous birth. As the near 100-year-old Sarah gives birth to Isaac. It's after these things. After God fulfills His promise to Abraham and to Sarah that He asks them to do the impossible. God had promised that through Isaac would come the, this great nation. And God tells Abraham that he wants him to take this son, his only son, his one and only son, the son of promise, and to sacrifice him on an altar. 
God asked Abraham to do the impossible. Well, as you've read through this narrative, I I hope that you were drawn into the story. It is vivid in its detail. Unlike many of the stories in Genesis, uh, the author leaves no wanting information. He gives us everything that we need. He paints a, a quite vivid picture of Abraham and his faith. We see first in verses 1 through 8, the Lord commands that Abraham is to take his son and sacrifice him. We see then in verses 9 through 14 that Abraham obeys the Lord. He gathers the wood, he gathers his son, and he goes on a three days journey to a mountain that God will show, Mount Moriah. And then we see at the conclusion of the story in verses 15 through 19 that the Lord rescues Isaac and provides a lamb, a ram caught in the thicket. And the Lord confirms his covenant with Abraham and assures Abraham that he will through Isaac make him into a mighty nation, a strong nation, a fortified nation for which the enemies will be overtaken. Well, as we read through this story, as you considered what God is teaching us in the story, I want to call our attention to a number of a number of points in the story. First, in all of this orchestration, God was testing Abraham's loyalty to the covenant promises. Abraham will pass with flying colors. The man who had fuzzy faith last week proves to be growing significantly in his trust of the Lord. He doesn't blink as he goes to sacrifice his son. Now I want you to see some intentional language first in verse 2. Notice what the Lord says. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. In other words, we need to understand that the Lord is the one behind all of this. He is the one that's going to see them through this. This is, of course, demonstrated in his faith in a number of ways. First, in verse 5, you see that Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham was demonstrating trust. He knew the Lord was up to something, and he was simply blindly following the Lord. This was the kind of faith he had. He, he knew that the Lord was about to do something miraculous. Of course, Isaac is the strong one. Isaac is the one who could have ran away, but he stays. Faithful to his father, he is obedient. We see here a, a bit of humor in the part of Isaac in verse 7, some irony. He says, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And then in verse 8, we see really the, the thrust, the point of Abraham's faith. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. You see, Abraham knew that the Lord was going to provide. He knew that God would do what was needed to save his son. Even the author of Hebrews, as as the author is reflecting on that in chapter 11 of of Hebrews, he, he points to Abraham's faith in the resurrection. And that perhaps even if he was to sacrifice his son, that God would raise him to life. Well, throughout the story, we see that Abraham has um, faith in the Lord. He's trusting in the Lord that the Lord will provide. Again, we see that in verse 12. 
as God, as the angel of the Lord calls to him, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Again, you see this emphasis here on the son, the only son, the son of promise. In verse 14, we see again the re-emphasis on the point of the passage. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. What is this a reference to, this mountain that, that, that he has gone to there in Moriah? Well, this is the place where the temple will be constructed, where the day of atonement, where the daily sacrifices will be enacted. You see, you, we, when we read the book of Genesis, we can't read this book apart from a, the rest of the books in the collection. You see, Genesis is a part of a, of a larger collection of five books called the Torah, the Law, written by Moses, the leader of the nation of Israel. And as Moses is writing Genesis tra- chapter 22, they have already seen a vivid witness of the Passover lamb. Remember in Exodus chapter 12, God instructs the nation of Israel to slaughter a lamb and to paint the blood upon the doorpost. And there the sons would be saved. We see a glimpse here, a foreshadowing in the story of Isaac and Abraham that God saves the sons of Israel through the sacrifice of another, through the death of a lamb. Well, God confirms his covenant with Abraham because he is obedient. He proves himself to be faithful, even willing to sacrifice his one and only son to obey God. The angel of the Lord said to him in verse 16, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Again, the covenant is dependent on the Lord alone. He has provided everything. And he confirms that he will make Abraham into a great nation that they will be as many as the stars of heavens and the sands of the seashore, and that they will be a mighty nation, there in verse 17, and that your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Well, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul teaches us that Christ is this offspring that fulfills this passage. That is, in in the Lamb of God, as John would allude to in in John chapter 1 and verse 29, as he declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is the Son of promise. The authors of the New Testament pick up on the language here in Genesis chapter 22 and apply it clearly to Christ. This is, of course, seen in that famous passage in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. A direct quote from Genesis chapter 22. Or, for example, in Romans chapter 8, when Paul argues that God will not leave us nor forsake us, he says this, he said, He who did not give up His one and only Son, how much more will He? We're reminded here this morning, that God has provided atonement for our sins in Jesus Christ. And you and I might be tempted to think that God has not done all that needs to be done. Maybe, we, maybe we're tempted to think we need to add to our salvation. We need to do something in order for God to love us more. 
We're reminded here that God will provide everything for His covenant people. His people need not doubt that He will provide atonement for their sins. This morning, your sins are forgiven, not because you obey God or not because you uh, were really good this week, because you did some religious act, but rather because Jesus Christ died in your place. He was the ram caught in the thicket. And just as Isaac bore the wood, so Christ bore His cross. And just as Isaac faithfully followed his father, even to his death. So our Savior faithfully followed his father to his death. You see, in the death of Christ, God was giving himself his one and only son, that you and I might become sons and daughters of God. How is God testing your faith this week? How is God calling you to take up your cross and follow Him? To be faithful to Him? To trust His promises? Well, God in chapter 22 provides atonement. He provides all that's needed. He assures Abraham that He will make him into a great nation. Now, as you were reading, perhaps you wondered, what does chapter 23 have to do with anything? How does chapter 23 fit within this story? Well, why would I choose to put these two chapters together in one devotional? Well, it's because, as I said, God promised not only a people, but a land. And Abraham doesn't possess the land. Abraham is a stranger in the land. And we're told in chapter 23, reported some very sad news. We're told after a good life, a long life, of 127 years, 60 years of marriage, living in the land, Sarah dies. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, the faithful one, the princess to this kingdom that will come. Sarah has been with Abraham all along from the very beginning as they, so, as they left the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, as they made their way to the land of Canaan, as they made their way to to Egypt and and back. Sarah's been there. Sarah, the one who laughed at God's promises, the one through whom God fulfilled His promise to provide a son, that seed that would crush the head of that ancient serpent. Sarah. We are told in chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, that Sarah died in Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Abraham's remembering the good years that they enjoyed together. And in the text, as you see, there's some emphasis that I want to point out to you. Chapter 23 begins by making clear where Sarah died. She died in the land of Canaan. At the end of the the chapter, you see again this emphasis of where she's at in the land of Canaan. Now, as you think about what is taking place in this story, particularly the, the emphasis that Abraham has on wanting to provide for his wife a proper burial place. As he mourns for his wife, he wants to bury her, respecting her even in her death, finding a place that she can lay 
and rest. The story unfolds by demonstrating that Abraham is extorted by the Hittites. This man named Ephron, as you read through the story, it really is, is glaringly uh, emphasis on the fact that he is extorting uh, Abraham. In fact, he, he adds a little extra onto the deal. If you look there in verse 13, he not only gives him the cave that he wants, the cave of, cave of Mechpelah, but also the field. We see then in verse 14 that he wants it for an exorbitant price, a hundred shekels of silver. This was a lot of money for a small piece of land. But Abraham agrees to it. For Abraham, he's willing to pay whatever price to honor his wife in death. As you read the story, though, I wonder, it seems so secular. It just seems just so matter-of-fact. Okay, Abraham buys a burial plot. For his wife. There's more to the story if we pay attention. What Abraham is doing is he is putting down roots. Now think about it for a moment. Abraham is a nomad. He's a sojourner. He, he's, he's an alien to the land. He, he doesn't own anything. He, he just merely lives in tents and picks them up and moves to the next location. But what Abraham is doing by burying his wife there in Hebron, is he is putting down a stake, a marker, and he is saying, this land is my land. You see, Abraham and his descendants will use this cave for the next 400 years. Each one of the sons of promise, their bones will be laid in there. In fact, the book of Genesis ends with Joseph's the sons taking the bones of Jacob and putting them in this cave in Hebron. An important place, a place of memorial, a place of remembrance, a place of honor, a place that would remind the nation of Israel that this land is the land of promise. You know, when the spies went in to spy out the land of promise, when the two Righteous men, Caleb and Joshua, went into the land to spy it out. Well, the text makes clear that they stopped in one particular place. There in Hebron is where they came, to the cave of Sarah and Abraham. You see, it was a reminder to the nation of Israel that God would fulfill His promise to His people. You see, Abraham had eyes of faith. He saw the, the promise from afar. And though he never got to experience it, he trusted. Friends, this is exactly the way the author of Hebrews interprets this passage. In Hebrews chapter 11, he says this about Abraham. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city." Friend, this morning as you think about what Abraham does, 
and honoring his wife. And you consider the practice that Christians have for centuries, millennia, in burying the dead. We don't set the dead on fire floating down a river. We don't just leave them out in the elements for animals and wild beasts to get them. No, our practice is intentional. We bury our dead because we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have hope for a land that is not ours yet. And this is what Abraham is doing. He's putting faith in the promises of God that this land will be the people of Israel's, that, that his children and, and their children will come and, and remember the life of his wife and the faithfulness of Sarah. And so it is for us as Christians. Our hope is not in a land, but in a city, a celestial city that one day we will go to. As God calls us as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, our hope is in that eternal home. And brother and sister, this morning, in the midst of exile, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of death, all around us, we are reminded of that hopeful promise of death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we fear not death. Our eyes, our gaze is toward that celestial city as God is remaking what was lost in the Garden of Eden. You'll be reminded in our study of Genesis that it all began in a beautiful garden, but it was all lost. As you think about your Bible and what we see just lost in Genesis 3 is regained through Jesus Christ. And this is why your Bible ends the way it does in Revelation chapter 22 as the city comes and the dwelling place of man is with God. Brother, sister, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of doubt and discouragement, renew your hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the hope of the resurrection. There, trust Christ and His promises that He will come again, that He will gather His church, and that we will possess the land for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning as we open your word, as we think just briefly about it, that you would make a new work in our lives. Renew us, I pray. Uh, let us regain our faith in you. Uh, Lord, perhaps you're testing us in the season. Uh, Lord, may we double down. May we put our roots down in the hope of the resurrection. May we know that you are a promise-keeping God and that you have kept all promises in Jesus Christ. May our faith rest solely on him. For your glory and our eternal good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.